Welcome to the Read Scripture Podcast. The goal of Read Scripture is to get people alone with God in His Word. For more information, visit readscripture.org. Okay, so we continue reading through the entire Bible, and I hope, I hope you really are doing this, like you're reading every day. The point of this podcast is not that I summarize the Bible for you, but that we're reading through it together. In fact, if this is it for you, like you're not actually reading the Bible, you're just listening to a podcast, then this is accomplishing exactly the opposite of what I had hoped. Our, our desire is not to create another podcast. We have plenty of voices. The idea is to get people reading the Bible for themselves, spending quality time alone with God and, and digging deeply in his word because you want to know him. And the point of this time is just for me to show you, look, here's what I got as I was reading through the Bible. Sometimes I'll interview other people so you can understand how other people are studying the word of God. And hopefully this helps you in your time alone with him. Like like this week, we read Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians, so it is absolutely impossible for me in 20 minutes to summarize those three rich, rich, deep books of the Bible, but just want to point out a few things that hopefully you caught, and maybe as, as I point some of these things, it'll it'll guide you in, in further reading, going, oh, okay, okay, I need to look a little deeper at certain passages, or or maybe it's just an encouragement of, of uh, what happens to me almost every day when I talk to others about the Bible reading. They'll point something out to me that I missed, and uh, that's that's really what it's all about, about fellowship over the Word. But uh, let's get into it because there's so much. And uh, just from the book of Galatians, uh, he, Paul's emphasizing the gospel. And some, some passages, uh, obviously chapter 1, verse 7, he explains that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Okay, this is huge. There are those, even back then, and there always will be as long as we're on this earth before the return of Christ, there will always be those who want to distort the gospel of Christ. That's what this is about. That's why you have to read the Bible for yourself. I mean, I could distort the gospel of Christ. I could be doing it to you right now. I could be fooling you. So if, if your whole faith is in one person's voice or a couple people's sermons, man, that's a dangerous place to be because people can distort the gospel of Christ. That's why we read through the book of Romans. He was explaining the gospel to us. That's why we were reading through Corinthians. Again, he's emphasizing the gospel. And here we get to Galatians, and he says it again. There's going to be people who distort this. And so in the next verse, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Okay, this is no small matter. Paul's using strong words here and saying, look, I don't care if it's some heavenly being. 
I don't care if it's me. It, it's This is so precious. This is so valuable that if anyone distorts it, they should be cursed by God. And so what was happening to, happening to the Galatian church was that there were people that were distorting the gospel. They were trying to add works to it as though the, the works were creating some sort of righteousness and they were being justified by these works. And Paul's telling the Galatians, no, it's, he, he says it again in chapter 2, he says in verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I'm going to read it again. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It's all about the grace of God. And that's why in verse 21, he says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He goes, look, if we could get salvation any other way, why did Jesus die? Okay, if this is about you working your way or you being a good person, he goes, then Christ died for nothing. Look, we live in a time when people say, oh, well, there are many ways to heaven. And I just go, well, look at what Paul says. If there are many ways to heaven, then why did God have his one and only son die? To make one more way? Really? So, so, so this brilliant, amazing, holy God and his only begotten son, he's saying, you know what? There's so many ways to heaven, but you know what? Let's have you tortured. Let's have you suffer. Let's have you face my wrath just to add one more way. That really makes sense to you? No, what Paul says here makes sense. He goes, look, I don't nullify the grace of God because if you get righteousness through the law or any other way, then why did Christ die? Look, this is about us sitting here, not trying to earn any salvation for ourselves, any righteousness, any justification. It's about Jesus. He did it all. Without him, we'd be nowhere. We had no hope. We couldn't get righteousness on our own. That's what the book of Galatians is about. That's what the book of Ephesians is about. I mean, Paul's explaining it again about how in, in chapter 2, he says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead. He explains that we, we, we had no hope. A dead person has no hope. A dead person doesn't work. He can't earn anything. He, 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 he makes it sound like we're, we're like zombies here in chapter 2. How we just kind of followed the course of the world. We just, we just followed this spirit of disobedience. In, in verse 3, 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He says, look, we're no different. Man, that phrase, we were by nature children of wrath. Just like he said in Romans, remember that? How, how we were enemies. We're about to face the wrath and fury of God. Here he says, just like the rest of mankind, we were by nature children of wrath. And then verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Over and over again, by grace you have been saved. This is God giving it to you. It's by grace, verse 8, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. This is so important to God. This is the gospel. This is what Paul is saying in Galatians. If anyone changes this, let him be accursed because it's not about you. It's not about you fulfilling this law or doing this or being such a great person or, or giving all your money away to the poor or, or living so simply. It's, it's not about these things. He says, look, it's a gift from God because God doesn't want anyone boasting. It was about you being by nature a children, a child of wrath. You know yourself. You were just doing what felt good. Whatever you wanted to think in your mind, whatever you whatever sin you could pursue and get away with, you were all about that. And so you were facing his wrath, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Okay, no other reason except for God. Because God, at his very core of who he is, he's rich in mercy. Okay, and this is, and, and the cause because of his great love with which he loved us. Look, I know some of us are insecure. Some of us don't get how someone like, like God obviously could love us. But the Bible says that was the motivation. You, you can only go with one or the other. You either go, okay, well, I was such a great person that God decided to love me. Or you go, no, God was just such a great God, so full of love and so rich in mercy that he loved me and he poured out his grace on me. And that's why Paul says, look, I don't care if an angel from heaven I don't care if some heavenly being that terrifies you comes down and tells you something different. He says, you know what? That angel can just go to hell. That angel can just be accursed by God. Because don't let anyone tell you that this is about anything else other than this amazing God. You did nothing. We were by nature children of wrath, and God stepped in, and that's why we worship him.
That's why we read his word. We want to learn more about this God who gave us this great gift. It's nothing to do with our works. Yet at the same time, in, in, in Philippians, you have a very, very key passage in, in chapter 2. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, so so while it's not about works, that's why this is key. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. When he just spent Galatians and Ephesians talking about how it's not by works. So what is this about? Well, listen, pay, pay close attention to the words. It says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not work for your own salvation. Now that would be a contradiction. But he says, no, work out your salvation while it's true that we don't save ourselves. It's by grace. It's through faith. He goes, but there's a working out when you get saved. When when the Holy Spirit enters you, like we talked about in Romans. He goes, when that happens, there's there, there's you become a slave to what's right. That's why in, in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, there's still commands. There's still things we have to do. But there's this power in us. There's this desire to work it out. And, and yet we do it in reverence, with fear and trembling. It's not like, okay, God saved me. And so I just have this casual attitude about him. No, he's still an amazing, holy God. And we still work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that next verse is key. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, there is there is a mystery here. And I, I still, you know, I'm still trying to work it all out. I think we all are trying to work it out. It's like, what does God do and what do I do? Okay, I understand with salvation, he's the one that opened my eyes. He's the one that saved me. It was a total gift. I was dead, so he did it all. But now with that, there's just something very real about me choosing every day to live for him. But he says that will, even that will to live for him is his. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So when you can put together verses 12 and 13, then you've got it. Somehow I am commanded to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Like there is something I do. I, it's not a passive thing. I'm not a passive participant. I am commanded to work it out with fear and trembling. And yet at the same time, this desire to do so comes from God and the actual ability to work it out comes from God. But again, it's not passive. 
So on the one hand, I come before God and say, Lord, I need this desire. You, you, you build it up in me. Give, give me a greater desire and give me a greater ability to work this out. And meanwhile, somehow where, where the spiritual, where God touches my humanity, I, I God, but I am going to work and make every effort and strive toward this because I fear you. I tremble before you. I'm amazed by my salvation and I want this. I want this because you made me want it, but I everything in me knows I want this and I'm working because you are enabling me, empowering me to work, but every fiber in my being is working with all of its heart. And so somehow the two come together and with that, you know, I of those three books, the one passage that just keeps coming back to me that I've meditated on it the most is uh, Ephesians 1 when Paul is praying for the Ephesians and in verse 18 he prays having the heart the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. And again, I know I'm taking just a section out of a chapter because we don't have time to throw it all in context. But with all of this, with this idea of God moving and yet us responding and and him, you know, us being dead and him opening our eyes and giving us life and the two coming together. I mean, at the end of the day, Paul says, that's why I pray for you. I pray for you and even though I don't see you and I don't know who's listening, I just, I pray and I go, God, whoever listens to this, would you have the eyes of their hearts enlightened? That's such a, it's a crazy phrase. He's saying having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Okay, so this is not just a physical exercise. It is not just a mental exercise where I'm asking you, read the Bible, look at these words, and understand it. That, that's necessary, but that, that's, not, that's not all of it. That's not sufficient at all because it's not just about your physical eyes reading some physical words on a piece of paper. That's why Paul's praying. He goes, I want the eyes of their hearts. Okay, did you know that somehow internally there's a vision? Uh, there's there's a, a sense of seeing. That's why the, the Bible talks about us being veiled at times and for the natural man not being able to see these things we saw that in Corinthians that's why Paul is praying to God because again we're blind we're dead in our trespasses and sins in a spiritual sense in a very real sense so Paul says I want the eyes of their hearts enlightened why that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you okay so somehow something spiritual happen has to happen so that you can know the hope to which he has called you. Now, a lot of us are terrible hopers, right? Like when we go into a situation, we just kind of expect the worst. This way we can't be hurt. 
Okay, then if something good happens, we go, okay, that was better than I expected. But but it's the people with low expectations that tend to be the happiest because they just won't get let down. But what Paul is saying and what God says all through the scriptures is he doesn't want us to be like that when it comes to his promises. He wants this hope to be the anchor of our soul. And that's why Paul says, I'm praying for you that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you would know what is the hope to which he has called you. So that you're not, oh, I I think I'm going to heaven. I I think I'm saved by grace. I think it's going to be better after I die. I'm pretty sure. And you don't treat this like everything else in your life where you go, man, I don't know. I'll just wait till the end. No, he wants you to know the hope to which he has called you. And so if you're you're listening to this and you're insecure and you're going, God, I'm just not sure. I, I, I don't know. I look then pray and say, God, open the eyes of my heart. Help me understand your gospel because I don't want to have doubt. I don't want to treat this like anything else. Open the eyes of my heart and enlighten me so that I can know the hope to which I've been called. I don't want to walk around insecure and I'm your child and you are the almighty God and you don't want me to be insecure. I want to know the hope so I'm excited every day about my future. And he says, and I want you to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Pay attention to every every word in that phrase. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? He does not say what are the riches of your glorious inheritance inheritance but he says what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints whose inheritance he's talking he's talking about god's inheritance and his inheritance is immeasurably great i'm sorry his his inheritance uh, you know he calls it riches and he calls it glorious What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So it's his inheritance. And his inheritance is the saints. It's us. That what Jesus did on the cross made us so beautiful that God longs for his glorious inheritance. Now that requires some serious faith, especially for many who are listening to this and you've maybe have never had anyone look at you as a treasure. Maybe you grew up without parents who treasured you and just thought, and you are everything to me. And maybe some even grew up with, with parents where you thought, man, they... 
they didn't care about me. They, they, they wish I wasn't alive. I was never loved. I was never hugged. I was never this or that. And even at this point in life, it just seems like people just want me for something. And then to think that there's a God who looks at you as his treasure, as his inheritance. This is the creator of everything. The only one that matters. And to believe that because of what Christ did in you, it was so beautiful that God now looks at you as a treasure as his inheritance and calls you glorious and considers you his riches? Man, only God opening the eyes of your heart will allow you to see that and see that you are so loved by him, so desired by him, and he longs for you like you would long for an inheritance. And then verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Do you believe that? The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Don't look at yourself the way the world looks at you. This could lead to pride or it could lead to depression. And neither of those are good. He goes, but look at yourself the way God sees you. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? People may look at you and and you may look at yourself as not truly being gifted not really having many abilities because you didn't stack up at school. Your, your grades didn't add up. Maybe you have a failed business. Maybe you've never worked your way up the chain in a job. Maybe you weren't popular. Maybe you weren't this or that. So then you look at a verse like this and say, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Look, you've got to trust the word of God. There is tremendous power in you. Like last week when we talked about the gifting, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Look, he's given you a gift. He's given you power. And here he says there is an immeasurable greatness of his power toward those of us who believe. You see see why we need God to open our eyes. And this is why we pray for those who are trying to understand the gospel or for those that we love so badly, so desperately need the gospel. They just don't get it. We say, God, open their eyes, the eyes of their heart, because we want them to know this hope. We want to know them to understand that they can be a part of this glorious inheritance. And we want them to see that God has this immeasurable greatness of his power that would be toward those of us who believe. Read the word of God. Enjoy his greatness. And again, I'll be praying for you that God opens the eyes of your hearts. Thank you for listening to the Read Scripture podcast. Read Scripture is a collaboration between the Bible Project and Crazy Love Ministries. For more information on the Bible Project, visit jointhebibleproject.com. For more information on Crazy Love Ministries, visit crazylove.org.